Hello, I'm Afi. And I'm August. And today we have a very compelling conversation with someone plainly at Tech's Innovative Center, which also means she's kind of on the edge because she's innovating quite forefront. She's on the periphery. Hence our title. But August, you weren't there. No, I wasn't, unfortunately. I had a prior commitment. But I heard it was a great interview. It was a great interview, a great conversation. Although, you know, I always love your perspective. And we had a moment in the conversation where we talked about what concerns us most about tech, social media. I think all of us answered about social media. And I wanted to know, August, I don't know the answer for you. Yeah. So I need I need to know. It's a excellent question. Thank you. Uh, Ari. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, and I, I wish I had been there to to uh, hear what we all had to say in real time. But I think for me, and I'm on social media, I feel like I'm pretty average, average social media, social media user. Uh, Less than me for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, I say you're average. Yeah, I mean, I like <laughs> <No> post. <data. laughs> <laughs> I'll maybe post on Instagram like once a year. Is that weird? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. I think that's pretty. I think that's a very 23, 24, budding twenty-four uh, level pace of uh, posting. Yeah. Okay. Well, now that we've set that baseline, <laughs> <laughs> I think my biggest fear uh, when I'm on social media, when I'm in 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 that world, is uh, being lied to. It is not knowing when I'm encountering information that is misleading, and it's kind of hard to tell because even uh, you know, when it, when you, how do you form an incorrect belief, a belief that's not based in reality? Uh, sometimes you're straight up lied to and you're sold that belief, but that can be easy to disprove. But other times, and I think this is especially potent on social uh, on social media, is that it's through repetition, it's through repeated exposure to implications, assumptions, occasional false facts, uh, and uh, over time entering a world where your whole kind of worldview is slightly diluted. If not more so, you know yeah. this rabbit hole, these rabbit holes can radicalize people, but they can also just make you wrong, and that's something that I fear because I wouldn't know when it happens. Do you have uh, a memory or a specific, maybe you know, silly piece of misinformation you've ever believed? I'm trying to think if I have one. That's a good question. I've believed, believed so much, so many, so many, yeah, <laughs> so but, much thing. Right, but the tricky part is, and it's good that you know that, but. The effect, you know, for fake news to work, you wouldn't know it's fake. That's true. Uh, so that's that's what makes it um, such a potent uh, and disruptive force is that misinformation and disinformation, uh, we are all individually subject to it. You know, most people don't think that they will. Um, Americans are incredibly overconfident in their skills uh, to assess the veracity of claims. Um, and they're incredibly biased by framing. And, uh, you know, that's. Yet, when we talk about social media problems from a policy perspective, disinformation and misinformation, Russian trolling and uh, uh, COVID vaccine misinformation, those things come first to mind, you know, that we have to address the information system. But, like, we're all part of that. And so that's something I think I worry about on both levels. Well, I'm glad we got this answer from you. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of The Periphery and keep listening to hear more about maybe how we can operationalize our ethics so therefore we have a little bit less disinformation and all the other awful things that come with the web. (laughs) (laughs) Hello Ari, welcome to The Periphery. We are so excited to have you join the conversation. Today we're going to be talking about, we're going to talk about innovators in Silicon Valley and ethics. Um, 
all the time, or part of why we're interested in technology is because we love innovation. We think it's awesome. We are big, big technology users. And at the same time, when you're entering uncharted waters, there's always a question of, you know, what is the application? What is the utility going to be? Um, are we opening Pandora's box? Are we, <laughs> what are we doing with our tech? Um, and a lot of people don't have access to the ones in the room who are actually innovating. And that means we have no idea, often, what, what are innovators thinking? You see the headlines, you see the technology, uh, and you might see it, you know, um, <laughs> given this flavor of, oh, the world's ending. And sometimes you're given this flavor of, this is gonna be the best thing ever. Uh, and it's the same exact technology. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting, at least I do. I don't know, but I don't wanna talk for you and Carl, you, Carl and Jess. <laughs> But I think it's pretty interesting that all these technologies are getting innovated all the time and there's all these political, they're really political and ethical conversations around the technology. Um, but what do the actual innovators think about ethics or about innovation? And how do they answer the questions of what is going too far? You know, what's not far enough? Um, how do you know you've operationalized your ethics and your tech? Um, so today, we have Ari Kayumi, uh, managing partner at Mindful Ventures, as well as Stanford Behavior Design Lab researcher. Um, with us, to, who is, I think, a bona fide Silicon, Vine, Silicon Valley innovator. Uh, so, Ari, thank you so much for joining. Of course. Happy to be here. And, um, you know, shall we just get into it? Ari, what is too far? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a, a great question. Uh, a little broad, but I'll do my best to bring it down. Um, yeah, so I, um, I think in terms of what might be too far is where we're not actually starting um, to solve a problem behavioral first, we're actually starting with technology and we're, we're just trying to push the boundaries of computing and then in search of a problem. Um, and that's not necessarily like, you know, I don't think it even touches on ethics yet, but be, what ends up happening is because we're not being driven by our users or by our customers or like solving a, a problem that's simply helping people expand their quality of life um, and elongate their number of years living, what ends up happening is we forget that that's actually what's driving all of this acceleration and this innovation at the first place, mm. right? Because at the end of the day, all we really are is just, we're humans trying to live a better life, have a better experience, connect on a deeper level. And so I think what's too far is always starting conversations that it's all about the tech first, or that you know tech is completely separate than a certain industry, than a certain sector. The reality is that technology is a way for every industry, every sector to do what they're already doing better, faster, cheaper. And so um, I think what's too far is simply having minds at the top who are not starting all the conversations in this regard. Yeah, that, that reminds me of something you mentioned last time we met that I thought was really insightful that like technology solves these human problems. And it's when we don't put humans at the center of the problem solving that like we can get really screwed in terms of like yeah. kind of messed up applications. I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we also get the situation where maybe a technology initially was developed for some kind of human purpose, but then as it develops, as it keeps growing, Maybe there are some uh, side effects that we didn't anticipate in the beginning. And so the human kind of more and more gets displaced. So where, where does that fit into everything? Would you say that is too far? And then how do we, with these kinds of technologies, how do we bring like humans and, and kind of what we want from technology, how do we bring them back to the center? Got it. Yeah. Um, I would actually like to spin it a little bit back on all of you. Is there an example of something you guys have seen in the industry right now where you're like, you know, 
I was really enjoying this and suddenly I, I didn't want to engage with it anymore. And here's why. And here's the problem I'm facing right now. Like I'm looking at a different application than before or, you know, I found a different solution or I'm wanting something else. I think like one thing that we all sort of relate to, we've had interesting ups and downs with social media. I think okay. like it was introduced at sort of a young point in us developing our social skills and like social structures. Yeah. And there was a point in time where it almost like there was overload. It hit like a breaking point where it's like, this isn't mapping on to how I actually socialize or like, like we were, we're seeing now with the whistleblower, like all of these things about like young women having body dysmorphia issues yeah. or getting all sorts of anxiety. I think that those are really real problems. So like that's an example of us the social network really kind of departing from what a social network means just like offline. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think even now it's hard to get off of social media despite all of the, um, like, despite all of its problems. For me personally, at least, it's hard to get off of social media because there is still a distinct value that I'm deriving from it. For example, just by virtue of the fact that I've moved around and I have friends in all these different places, to kind of all keep my network together in a centralized place and to be able to reach out to people that I haven't been reached like haven't reached out to in a long time like that is something I want to keep but I feel like there are other issues with the technology that that kind of drive me to actually getting rid of my social media account and so I'm kind of torn in this place where I, I can't get off of it because it still serves a quite a useful and almost mm. essential function for my socializing. But I would like to keep that and maybe get rid of some of the other elements. But but I don't feel empowered to actually kind of like have a voice in that. Yeah, that makes sense. What about you, Afi? I mean, I'm I'm so much on the same realm. Like I, I was gonna say, like to some extent, most of my tech, but it's just that this like kind of inertia of being online all the time. Um, and I love social media. It's the best thing in the world. Like, uh, but at the same time... The best thing? Well, it's one of the best things in the world. I'll say that. Uh, better that than best. your family. Better than... <laughs> They're like a really close second. Uh, <laughs> but after... Yeah, just... I think about the best uses of social media. It's awesome. When I was in elementary school or in middle school, I was able to do live shows in North Carolina. Oh, who, cool. From people who discovered my music mm -hmm. on social media. I was a nobody. And it just so happened to randomly connect me to this one person looking for artists. Uh, this podcast would not have 170 followers on Instagram without social media. We wouldn't really have, it'd be, we'd have to right. find literally $10,000 to $20,000 of an investor to even build an audience. And we can do it like this in an instant. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it is one of the best things ever. But to your points, I was off of it for two to three years, mm -hmm. uh, longer than that, because I was so concerned with what it was doing to me mm -hmm. um, that that it, was, uh, it, felt, it felt all encompassing. Yeah, no, okay, I think this is great. So I think connecting everything that uh, you three just shared, one of the things that um, I think if we're talking about how do we actually operationalize ethics in the design of technology to facilitate this kind of use that we want and get the upside of technology rather than um, also accelerating the downside of that interaction is starting by designing these technologies not just in a persuasive capacity, um, meaning we just want to help amplify things that get us excited, like hype, hype, hype. You know, not just amplifying um, even consent, not just saying, hey, like, is this really just what you want to do? Because that gets kind of, you know, it's automated. It's yes, no. Very Yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's transactional, it feels like, right? And instead moving more toward um, 
you know, this word of empowering people and actually designing mindful technologies where it can still be social media. That can still be the segment that we're looking at, but designing it in a way where you guys can connect with the other minds of your life. Like as you guys are aging, it's, it's your generation, it's your zeitgeist being able to connect with these people um, that you have connected with before and keep in touch with them, but specifically in the capacity that you want to, um, or I guess in the context that you want to keep in touch with them, right? Like one limitation I'm seeing of social media right now is that if I post something, um, it's going out to everyone who watches all my stuff. Like I individually have to be intentional about, okay, LinkedIn is maybe for more professional things. Twitter is maybe for more venture capital stuff. But the reality is like, I'm also a researcher. I'm also just really fun. I do amazing things. Like, you know, whatever. I, I have like beautiful things in my life. I see beautiful nature things. And so how do, like I then, all of this is put on me as the user to decide what platforms am I supposed yeah. to be using to do that. Yet I still have followers on each of these platforms like Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or TikTok or whatever. And what would be better is if there's a centralized platform where I'm able to give a research talk on screen time and behavior change. Or I can say, hey, guys, I just talked to a 12-year-old and she's watching eight hours of TV a day. What? Like, I, I can't even imagine that. That's crazy. That's a whole new generational thing. And I can have the people in my network who think that's really interesting and they want to hear that kind of news, even if you will, that that's served up to them. Versus, you know, if I'm getting a hot chocolate and I have friends who are always into food and they're like, oh, yeah, give me more food pictures. Oh, it's amazing. It, that will serve up to them, right? Yeah. So I, I think having a different, that's what you guys see on the front end, but on the, the back end, on the infrastructure side, actually having um, technology, a technology stack that's supporting this influx of data from all these um, different sources and, and understanding that even though I'm one person, I have different personas that are part of me and enabling me to amplify those different personas with my different communities um, that I that I want to continue connecting with. Well, I, I kind of just, you, you touched a thread on, you first started talking about how, you know, how do we get our tech to better operationalize what we want out of it? Uh, and part of that was not just having the people in the boardrooms talking and, and putting having input. And then you also talk about, um, you know, how, there's different relationships with different platforms mm -hmm. and there's different mindfulness. And sometimes the user, you know, to some extent the onus is on the user and to some extent it's on the programmer and the designer. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, uh, to what extent is looking at the design of the technology kind of missing the point? Like, should we be looking at our own relationships with tech? Like when I got offline, I, I learned a lot about how to be more private online mm -hmm. where I'm thinking maybe schools should have... Um, a core class until sixth grade about how do you work online? Or should we be looking at policy that forces entities to, like, you know, so many times I'm seeing the design being, we were actually at a conference and Peter Thiel believes that artificial intelligence is communist. Meanwhile, blockchain's libertarian. And to me, to all of us, that sounded a bit ridiculous. It was unhinged. <laughs> um, because there are definitely, I think, all different types of applications of this technology. So I'm just like, you know, how much is design the culprit? Uh, how much can design really do for us? Yeah, no, I think uh, you just hit on so many things. So I think using using the whole symbolic systems background, I'm going to take a systematic approach to answering all of this. Um, because at the end of the day, I think a lot of it is also the design of how we are funding things. So, right, there's, there's only a few key individuals who get to decide. You know, there might be like 15 people in front of that one person deciding. And so it seems like there's 15 people deciding and talking. But at the end of the day, it really is one mind saying, I think this and so this. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of cash goes in that direction. Right. The reality is so, like, 
like a company that's terrible can succeed if it's given a lot of money. It just can, okay? And and maybe maybe not succeed in terms of returns, but you as the consumers, me yeah. even, right? Until unless I know the team, I might think this company is very successful, and it's not in terms of financial returns. Uh, we call it. I think that the catchphrase we use there, or the the small phrases we say, is lipstick on the pig. Right, so it makes it look like it's one thing. All right. this cash, it builds up this thing. But the reality is, the value it's really adding to society is not that. Mm -hmm. um, and and obviously, time tells all. So five, ten years, you're going to see what's real, what's not. But yeah, so I think I think the design beyond, beyond the tech, which I think comes down the road, it's more about also how we design who is even able to distribute this cash to these founders to build certain technologies, right? And then the designs that those we and we augment these founders to impart on their technology. Um, I was going to comment on something else you said, Afi, around, you know, should we be having a class, right? Should there be something around how do we use technology or like how do we be private? I can't remember the specifics you said, yeah. but I am 100% behind, you know, for instance, even in, in college, I see a lot of students, they graduate from undergrad or even graduate school and they're like, wait, what was my point in doing that? I know I have degrees, but why did I do that? Like, how am I contributing to the world? And, and I'm always so like, oh my gosh, like, it, really like you're, you're such an amazing person I, I can totally see what they're wanting to do like their full potential right and um, having a class at the freshman year in in college I think is a really easy way to start where maybe it is something around mindful technology use but also just like how do you design your life like what kind of impact do you want to have how many skills do you have right now what skills do you need in order to have the kind of impact you want later on um, and I think we could even go earlier, like into elementary school. Kindergarten. Yeah, exactly. My right? little siblings got their first cell phone and they're, they're between, they're sharing it, but they're between three and three. Oh my gosh. But That's amazing. 10, he turns 10 in like two days. Amazing. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so thinking about that, right. It's like, I, I can't imagine ever having a phone at that age. Um, but if I did, there are so many ways that it, it could be beneficial for these in, um, for these kids, right? I mean, they could be learning Chinese. They could be learning Spanish. They could be, um, you know, watching how to do math problems at scale, learning how to do combustible engines, right? Like, there's all these things they could be learning. Yeah. And then to simplify that, though, at the end of the day, what are they doing? They're just doing a behavior. Mm. They're learning, right. right? And so this technology and how we place it or these policies and how we roll them out, all that's really important is to have a discussion around what are the behaviors that we are trying to augment in our society. Um, and I think reinvesting a lot of this cash flow into the learning sciences and then also investing in a tech transfer pipeline so that the research that's coming from academia, instead of being stalled 10 years behind what industry, sometimes 20 years, that it's actually accelerated and people are incentivized to continue learning, to take this lifelong learning approach. Because technology, all it is, again, it's a tool to help us change our behavior in the way that we want. And it's really important to fund um, people and projects that are going to amplify everything that, that we're trying to experience as society. And that's, that's never going to slow down because we're curious creatures. We're going to keep exploring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering in terms of like, you know, um, altering technology and helping it um, kind of enhance the behaviors that we want. Um, where, where is that impulse going to come from? Because, I mean, we see, for example, in, in, in China, you know, that... Much of it is coming top down from the government, where the government says you can only play video games for so many hours um, a week. Um, so that's one approach. Another approach of, is, of course, um, the funding approach. And as you said, much of this is also just an incentive um, that is that is built into the technology by who gets funding. Um, so that, of course, is another approach. Like, what do you think is how how do we actually 
how do we create this impulse? Yeah, so I think one of the, the most interesting things on the, uh, you know, I think on the business, the professional side of what I do um, that's interesting is venture capital actually drives most of the GDP for the U.S. government. So the impulse on the professional side is invest in venture capitalists who know what they're doing, who understand what intelligence actually is before they're saying that they invest in AI, <laughs> all right? I mean, I think the A part of the AI is really just the, how do you put it into a computer? And so if you're just investing in someone who doesn't even understand what intelligence is, um, that's a flag for me, right? Now, on the personal side, um, I would say that I'm gonna continue doing my research and all of my research and work, it really charts the optimal path to seek and invest in technologies that match the intersection of technology, law, and ethics. So specifically, you know, the, the way that we're sourcing investments, it's with this new methodology I created, it's called CABDA. And I also use another metric, it's called the CABDA quotient. And using both of those, I'm essentially able to ensure the ethical use of data in its very construction. And as a result, you know, I'm, I'm thereby able to limit unforeseen cons or unforeseen events that are going to come up, right? And so, for instance, the current happenings across social media, et cetera. So all the unintended consequences are, are drastically minimized by using both CABDA as well as CABDA quotient. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, um, just about, you know, like kind of these technologies being developed initially with a human interest in mind. But then as the technology grows, you know, you have these unintended consequences, you have side effects, um, and the human element gets slowly displaced. And so that's, I think, it, it's a nice approach to have that more firmly um, ingrained from the beginning so that that kind of thing cannot happen. Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, it's sort of just to think about like a current event, like just yesterday, Mark Zuckerberg, right, they changed the Facebook's name, they're meta now, um, <laughs> because they're like leaning towards this future of life online, the metaverse, which I think, in some ways is sort of the world that we already inhabit today. So much of our lives are online, but it's sort of like leaning into that and really embracing the idea that you can do, you can be all of yourself and sort of like you were talking about the different distinct aspects of yourself. Like you can do that Which, all how, What online. an awesome vision. Like, like it's kind of an awesome it is an, vision. It is an awesome vision. I think it is also like the fact that we kind of are already there, or at least leaning into it, raises the question like, how has it gone so far? And I think if you think about like Facebook specifically, some people say that part of the reason they rebranded is because they're in such turmoil right now with their mark. I mean, like there's so many they're under a lot of heat right now. Right. And why are they under heat? Because of the whistleblower, because of certain human aspects that have not gone well in this like social experiment. So I think it is it is good to hear that someone on the inside is like really prioritizing thinking about these behavioral issues first. One more question. Um, what about innovators' education? Um, I remember an undergrad went to a very STEM-heavy school, and I had an observation that a lot of the people who would go on to be uh, in positions to actually implement, you know, ideas into being technology, had an incredible lack of liberal arts education, where where there was not where there was a sincere lack of engagement with concepts of like, you know, philosophical concepts or just social concepts. Um, and I think it kind of implemented or really highlighted itself in a paper I read for the data privacy class that started this podcast where they, all the uh, engineers, they're just like, privacy? What the, they're like, what the, what the fuck does that mean? They're like, I'm just going to do something and then I'll try to make it as private as I feel. Like they had, there's no concept. Meanwhile, these companies, they had people who were well studied in privacy ideas and concepts, and but it doesn't matter. They're not the ones actually in the, actually on the computers making the tech. So I'm just curious, you know, what can, how, how do we, how do you really merge that? Is it 
broadening the skills it takes to be a good innovator? Should we redefine, you know, what does it mean to be a coder? No, no, I think that that's great, actually. Uh, you touched on a lot. So again, I would say, so on the professional side, this would then be on the academic professional side. So in our lab, our main thing that we differentiate from a lot of other people who do behavior change is we focus on making things easier for people to do. So it's not about hype, hype, hype again, right? It's not about, hey, look, let's just make sure we're motivating people to get involved. Obviously that, that plays its own role and that's really valuable and we need all those people and all those products to do that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's just about making things easier for people to do. And so we have this recent project. It's called the Rosetta Stone Project. I think I mentioned before around tech transfer. One thing we, we realized with our lab is we're one of the most successful labs to translate this research that's a lot of it's my unpublished research into real products in the world and to push that forward and have a high impact on these people. And I think... Um, that's why I'm here today with you guys is that I see, I mean, you guys are all in law school right now. That's awesome. And you should all finish. And I'll be mad if you don't, right? I'll be disappointed <laughs> if you don't, because education is so important. At the same time, I think having this experience and giving back as you are doing it is equally important. And um, the way that I think, what would I say that, that we're, we as a team are going to be able um, to do this at scale or like make things easier for people to do it's by funding it. Right. And so I, I talked about this with Afi before, but you know, the plan would be from our fund, we'll donate some carry to programs like this. I'm already donating 1% of our carry to the lab because I think it's really important to put, put your money where your mouth is. Right. It's like, I want this research for people. Um, I want people to have to study philosophy, to have to think about how people think, um, to have to not only think about how, people think who they think they look like, like all people, right? And then even beyond that, to, to explore, to um, you know, navigate things without always having objective of, hey, I need you to find, did this product do better than this one? Give me a result. Okay, great. Wait, we didn't actually do better than this one. Can you just lie about it? That's not good, right? Like you don't want to have these financial incentives. You saying, saying people lie? Uh, no comment, right? I can't comment on that publicly, but um, but I'm just saying I think financial incentives change the way that people um, actually produce results. And and if we as humans are going to augment ourselves in the way we want, we have to make sure we're actually being driven by intrinsic values and we're being intentional about what we're trying to solve and, and by removing this money factor um and um what would i say like funding these behaviors that are going to i, I guess it's like reskill maybe reskill people that's where we're going to start to have a better impact at scale and it's something you guys literally are already doing right now right you're leading by example you are sharing your knowledge about um, different laws that are coming out you're talking you're bringing people on the podcast who are at the edge of whatever they're studying they're saying controversial things and you're bringing people to the table like you guys yourself are a diverse set of individuals too right and so so i think the way to do it is just take action keep learning um keep going to school etc um but yeah Awesome. Well, wow, I feel so inspired. Right no, now. honestly. I know. This was, this I have, I've awesome. read like a 10 page paper today. I'm like, I'm ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> this was Ari, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, I think I think our listeners are really going to appreciate this conversation. And uh, we're really excited to see what you do with Mind Adventures, the Behavior Design Lab, yeah. and, and everything else you get involved in. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.